This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The U.S. Supreme Court will decide whether Donald Trump must stand trial in a 2020 election conspiracy case. And Mitch McConnell says he's stepping down as Senate GOP leader in November. Plus, the excitement around AI may feel like a bubble, but is it? It's kind of a piggy bank. You can rattle, you know that there's some money, but you're not sure if there's a lot of money, you know, based on how much you're paying. It's Wednesday, February 28th. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. This is the PM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories that move the world today. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the longest-serving Senate party leader in history, has announced he'll step down from the leadership role in November. One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. McConnell has spent nearly two decades atop the Republican caucus. Congressional reporter Siobhan Hughes has more. This is a pivotal turning point for the Republican Party, which in the arc of McConnell's career went from the party of Reagan, the party of strong foreign policy, uh, focus on corporate America, to one that is much more populist, much more inward looking, much more America first. And so while we don't know who McConnell's successor is going to be, we do know that Donald Trump, the populist America first president, is probably going to be tugging the party more in that direction and more away from the Reagan-era philosophies that McConnell represented. Resigning in November will allow McConnell to avoid another leadership challenge like the one he beat back in 2022. He said he intended to continue serving in the Senate. His current term expires in early 2027. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to consider whether Donald Trump must stand trial on charges that he plotted to overturn the 2020 election. The decision to hear the case comes after lower courts rejected Trump's claim that he's entitled to absolute immunity because he was president at the time. Meanwhile, a New York appeals judge has declined Trump's request to suspend enforcement of a $355 million judgment against him in a civil fraud case. Trump's legal team had sought a temporary reprieve, saying he lacks the liquidity to cover the judgment, and without judicial intervention, he might have to unload his prized real estate in a fire sale. New York Attorney General Letitia James is suing the world's largest meatpacker, JBS. In a lawsuit filed today against the Brazilian company's U.S. division, James alleges the meatpacker lied about its impact on the environment to win over climate-conscious consumers. Environmental groups have long criticized JBS's climate goals and practices. And the suit comes as JBS pursues a public listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Here now with more is Wall Street Journal agriculture business reporter Patrick Thomas. Patrick, what are the specific allegations made in this lawsuit? suit and how is JBS responding? So the New York Attorney General is claiming that JBS misled climate conscious consumers by claiming that it was going to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2040 
as well as some other sustainability claims. And the upshot is the AG is saying there's no way that they're going to be able to reach that given the emissions that come from beef production, alleged links to JBS and deforestation in the Amazon. So they're saying they misled consumers in order to win their business and, and ultimately boost sales from consumers that would have maybe opted not to buy with JBS otherwise. JBS says it disagrees with the New York Attorney General's office and that it is committed to sustainable future for agriculture and it will continue to work toward its goals. What could this mean for JBS as it plans to list in the U.S.? The news doesn't particularly help the company, and it's pushed back this listing on the New York Stock Exchange that's planned since last summer. This is something it had planned going back to even 2017, but kind of a number of different factors has really prevented it from doing it. Environmental groups of all kinds have tried to get the SEC to get involved in some way with a listing. Unclear right now what this will mean for the listing, but at the very least, it may not sit well with some investors, but JBS thinks this is a really important step to being seen more as a U.S. meatpacker. They get most of their revenue from the U.S., and they want to be seen as an American company rather than being in Brazil. That's Wall Street Journal agriculture business reporter Patrick Thomas. Paramount Global said it expects its streaming segment to turn a profit in the U.S. in 2025 after logging another quarter of subscriber growth. The media company's direct-to-consumer revenue was up 34 percent in its latest quarterly report, driven by the addition of 4.1 million net new subscribers on its Paramount Plus streaming service. Still, overall revenue fell 6 percent in the quarter, falling short of Wall Street's estimates due to declines in the company's TV and movie segments. More on Paramount's results in tomorrow morning's show. And streaming is already transforming the future of the movie and TV industry. We want to know what questions you have about how entertainment giants like Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery are deciding what to make. How are you deciding what content's worth paying for? How has streaming changed your viewing habits? Send us a note, or even better, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to wnpod at wsj.com. That's wnpod at wsj.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 212-416-4328. Just be sure to include your name and location. We might use it on the show. Coming up, is the AI boom about to become a bubble? Why the answer is not so simple after the break. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today. Google is being sued for $2.3 billion by a coalition of more than 30 European media companies, including media giant Axel Springer, that allege they incurred losses from less competition in the advertising technology market. The suit, filed in the Netherlands, claims the media companies would have had higher revenue and lower advertising fees if not for Google's dominance. Google intends to fight the lawsuit. In a statement, the company said it works with publishers across Europe and that its tools and the tools of competitors help websites fund content and reach new customers. Digital brokerage Robinhood is launching retirement accounts for gig workers. Markets reporter Hannah Miao says it's partnering with GoPuff, Grubhub, and TaskRabbit for the initial rollout and hopes to add additional companies in the future. 
Robinhood is really trying to become more than just a trading app. It became really well known around 2021 when people were wildly trading meme stocks like GameStop and AMC. And so they're really trying to widen their net. They're wanting to focus on things like retirement that keep people on the platform adding money regularly for longer. And this is just one example of them doing that. We've been talking a lot about the AI boom. Today, we're going to talk about whether there's an AI bubble. Our Heard on the Street columnist John Sandreu says it's not as simple as declaring the excitement and money swirling around AI a bubble or not. But there are elevated risks for investors. And John joins me now to explain. Welcome back, John. Hi. So, John, this is not quite a bubble, but there are some bubble-like characteristics, I guess you'd say? Yeah, I I would think about it like that. I mean, if you think about how strong the impact of these artificial intelligence expectations has been on the market, then clearly there's something there that's a bit bubbly because we just don't know what these large language models can yield in terms of business in the future, right? So this does evoke some past situations in which everyone's kind of betting on something and it might turn out to be worthless. And at that point, you've lost all your money. But on the other hand, and the reason why I don't think it's super useful to frame it as a bubble, not bubble dichotomy, is that what we're talking about here mostly is extremely robust companies investing very tangible money that they have into something that it is connected directly to their business. So if you think about what generative AI can do, well, we don't know, but it's almost certain that it will be a way to get a better Google search or something like that. So there is some business there, and it is being done by companies that we know are very robust and very stable. So yeah, we could get it wrong, but I don't think this is the same as saying, well, we're all betting on something that could just be air. So maybe we can learn some lessons from history here. We talk a lot about the Mag 7 these days, including NVIDIA, who's dominating the... AI game right now. But there's also the Nifty 50 and the Terrific 24. I'm not sure which name of these I like best, but can you explain what lessons we can learn from those two sets of stocks? Yeah, I think the Nifty 50 comparison is very useful. We're talking about the 1960s and 1970s here at the time. They were like the blue chips of the time, the ones that everyone said, well, you can't miss out. You have to invest in these. And they traded at very high valuations, even slightly higher than some of these magnificent seven names today. But overall, the lesson we derive from that is that, yes, those were very optimistic expectations and they did deflate, but they didn't lose you money. They returned less, but they returned a significant amount. And many of them are recognizable today as big companies. But that, I think, is a very different debate compared to, well, are we all investing in something people are buying because they want to sell to the next bigger fool? But is there anything else we might learn from previous bubbles? Like I'm thinking the dot-com bubble of the 90s, which is barely in my consciousness, not to give away my age here. But are there any lessons from that bubble that might be applicable here? Yeah, I mean, look, the differences that I'm saying exist with the dot-com bubble or even that 2021 like SPAC and meme craze are obvious, which is we were talking about companies that did not know how to make money out of a market that didn't exist. But as you say, there is some parallel. And I think the most interesting one might be Cisco. Cisco is like this networking equipment hardware manufacturer, still a big company today. 
What happened is the people who were buying from Cisco were a bubble. They were all these online internet companies. So when those companies got wiped out, investors suddenly, they had some projections of like how much Cisco's earnings would increase every year based on what had happened the previous five years. Suddenly that got halved. Sure, there is a bit of a parallel for NVIDIA or for AMD, for ARM, which is, yeah, I mean, if you're the hardware provider to all of these guys that are trying to spearhead this new technological revolution, maybe it's not a bubble in the sense that you're getting very real money, but that can be volatile, right? And, and if suddenly you find yourself in a market that is extremely oversupplied because that technological expectation didn't pan out, well, that's also a problem. And that brings us back in a way to where we started. If this is not quite a bubble, what should we call it? Do you have any ideas? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Like I, I had, a, <laughs> I had a, a reader email me and he suggested high wire actors, precariously perched actors or some variation thereof. I don't know. The image that I get, it's kind of a piggy bank. You can rattle. You know that there's some money, but you're not sure if there's a lot of money, you know, based on how much you're paying. And you have to wait to break the piggy bank and see what comes out. But it's, but it's, not, it's not air, right? Like, that's what you know. It's not air. So it's not a bubble. There's something there. <laughs> well, if you have any thoughts on what the name should be, feel free to <laughs> reach out to me or John about that. I've been speaking with Wall Street Journal Heard on the Street columnist John Sandreo. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. And finally, Death Valley is the lowest, driest, hottest place in the U.S. But earlier this month, when two massive rainstorms hit California, they revived a long-dead lake in the area. Lake Manly, as it's called, is about six miles long, three miles wide, and just a foot deep, maybe two feet in some spots. But it's enough to attract tourists eager for the rare chance to kayak in Death Valley. Our reporter Alicia Caldwell was there. It's surreal. There's trucks and cars with kayaks on their roofs. People are filling the official parking lot and then parking along the sides of the roads and taking kayaks and paddleboards and at least one inflatable unicorn out on the water. You know, there's like a dozen or so people out there at any given time that I saw. So there's a lot of people in the park, lots of different languages I heard, and just a whole bunch of wonderment of what the heck are we looking at. The water's going to be there for a while. To kayak it, though, get out there soon. It's, it's likely to be unnavigable, if you will, in the next few days or maybe the next few weeks. In the meantime, it's a salt bath, which is kind of fun. Officials with Death Valley National Park have even turned to social media to bring in more travelers. According to their recent press release, quote, it's a great time to come visit. And that's what's news for this Wednesday afternoon. Today's show was produced by Anthony Bansi and Pierre Bienname, with supervising producer Michael Cosmides. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. We'll be back with a new show tomorrow morning. Enter a revolutionary business world where AI meets power with Intel Core Ultra and Intel vPro. Imagine PCs that boost productivity, creativity, and collaboration with cutting-edge AI. They're gateways to innovation, engineered with powerful AI performance, hardware-based security, and AI-powered threat detection. Plus, they're built sustainably and can be managed remotely. Transform your workflow with Intel Core Ultra and Intel vPro today. No product can be absolutely secure. Become an IT hero at intel.com slash itheroes.